0: I would say, with respect to St. Thomas, and and this is probably why, or one of the reasons why the church has considered him a model is that he takes faith seriously and he takes reason seriously. Mm -hmm. And that is, I think, what the church teaches we should all do, we should take faith and reason seriously.
1: Welcome to the Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. This podcast is sponsored in part by Annunciation Circle, a community that supports the mission of Ave Maria University through their monthly donations of $10 or more. If you'd like to support this podcast and the mission of Ave Maria University, I encourage you to visit avemaria.edu join for more information. I'm your host, Michael Dauphiné, and today we are joined by Professor Joseph Trabik, professor of philosophy at Ave Maria University. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be here. So I thought it would be great today to deal with, I think, one of the most basic questions, right, Mm -hmm. which is, are there grounds for believing in the existence of God? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. And Uh, I know that you've made kind of this a little like a an area of study, sure. um, yeah. written you know articles and uh, working on books yes. on this topic about the proofs for the existence of God and where do they fit in with respect to theology? Mm-hmm. Where do they fit in with respect to philosophy? Mm-hmm. But I thought before we kind of jump into that, I wanted to kind of just set the stage a little bit and. Bishop Robert Barron in 2019, mm-hmm. uh, he did a Reddit AMA, Ask Me Anything. Uh, it ended up being, I think, the third most. No, his was the second most popular after Bill Gates, and he was ahead of Bernie Sanders, <laughs> by the way. So um, he had over 15,000 comments. Wow! And he said he identified four major themes mm-hmm. that came up, uh, and obviously this is a very just kind of worldly group in Reddit that's talking to him, and he said, number one, the question of proving God's existence came up again and again. Are there rational grounds for believing in God? How do I know there is a God? Can God's reality be demonstrated to someone who does not believe in the Bible? Right? And he says one of the fascinating things is that people were showing that they were interested in the question of God, Mm -hmm. and they weren't dismissing it as merely kind of uh, self gratification or um, projection, people were taking it seriously. And yet at the same time, he also said that it's almost within our cultural assumptions, most people still have the idea that, right, God's existence can be known only by faith. Yeah, And so, right, and this is not the teachings of the church, Right. But so if this is that he, the one of the biggest questions in talking about the faith, how would you begin to answer that right Why is it important to talk about how we can come to know God by natural reason
0: right well I, I think it's important because we, we need to see that that our faith has as you're saying a rational grounding right it, it gives us a certain confidence in in our faith. Of course faith is a is a supernatural uh gift it's a grace that that we get from God but we also can work at strengthening our faith right and one of the ways that we do that is is by reasoning about it and and trying to understand what what justifies this faith right and and the proofs for God's existence are one way that we do that and i would say that they're relevant to everybody, hmm. but that doesn't mean that, that everyone needs to know them or be able to um, work them out for themselves. Um, but it, it's helpful for our faith to know that there are these proofs and that people can work them out in the way that's, I would say, analogous to if I'm taking medicine, it's good to know that, that there are people who've run tests, <laughs> uh, you know, to show that the, the medicine is, is safe and effective, right? I don't have to run the test myself, but it's good to know it gives me confidence in taking the medicine, right? So I, I, I think there's something analogous there to the proofs for God's existence and how they relate to, to our faith, right? I don't need to be able to work them out for myself, but it, it's important and it's helpful. It strengthens my faith in a way to know that there are people that there are these proofs and that there are people who can, who know them and, and can work them out. Yeah. And in Paul's
1: letter to Romans, uh, chapter one, uh, verse 20, Paul writes this. Ever since the creation of the world, God's invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So this idea that somehow God's power yeah. and his godliness, his divineness, his, uh, his, cr- his identity as the creator is somehow visible. I mean, is, is seen in the visible works of the world, the, that the works of the world do not explain themselves, right? right? Sunsets, do not explain themselves, and yeah. how can we see them, and why do we understand them, and then how can we write equations about them,
0: Yeah, right? We right. can write yeah.
1: equations about sunsets with yeah. respect to the nature of the sun, the chemical reaction that makes the sun, yes. the optics, right, and the, yeah. the n- nature of light and waves. It's like all this is intelligible. So so I think also there is this basic presupposition in Scripture is that the Creator is knowable, through the creation. Yes. Um, so what would you say in a way
0: then, what is it further that the proofs tell us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, first of all, I, I want to say, I want to make a comment. It's, it's important to see that that this is something that we also find in scripture, right? Because mm-hmm. sometimes you hear people say that we can only know God by faith, right? Well, scripture itself teaches us that we can, and St. Paul here in Romans teaches us that we can know God by reason. And we even have Paul perhaps is drawing also on the Old Testament, Book of Wisdom also makes, you know, uh, has a similar teaching. So I I think that it's, you know, it's important to see that um, this is not simply something that we've come up with apart from Revelation, but Revelation itself also teaches us that God is knowable through reason so I, I think this is an important point yes and and so we can say that um, the, the way that I, I think of it sometimes and uh, this is this is not original but I, I think it's it's important to see this is that there in a way there are kind of two revelations right there's there's a natural revelation of God that we have access to just by our own powers as human beings, our cognitive powers are our mind, right? And um, there is then, a, in a way, a second revelation, what we would call a, a supernatural revelation, that we have access to not by our natural powers, but by faith, which is, a, again, a, a divine grace. But these two are from the same God, right? They're from the same yes, God, yeah. right? And so he's just revealing, it's the same God revealing himself in, in, in two different ways. And I, I think that's important to see that uh, because an, another problem that people have sometimes with arguments for God's existence, uh, the proofs, is that they say they what they do is create idols, right? This is, is this man trying to know God apart yes. from God. Mm-hmm. But that's not really true, and St. Paul shows that In the letter to Romans, he's saying, no, God himself has already in a way revealed himself in his creation and given us reason so that we can know him in a way that's analogous to the way that he gives us faith so that we can know him in in the supernatural Mm -hmm. revelation. Yeah. Right. And Paul goes on to say, so
1: we are without excuse because we could go know the creator through creation. Yes. Therefore, we are without excuse when we worship created goods right? When we, so we are the source of idolatry, not the knowledge (laughs) of creation. And and so one of the things I want to do is talk a little bit about just kind of maybe just kind of just how many different proofs there could be. Mm -hmm. uh, And then maybe a little bit about how, you you know, your own background, how you got interested in studying philosophy and studying the proofs. And then I definitely want to spend a little time maybe going through one or two proofs really kind of carefully, uh, maybe that might kind of be illuminating Mm -hmm. uh, to our listeners and viewers. Mm -hmm. So, First, if this basic idea that we go f- from creation, we can discern the creator, then in a way we can, all the different proofs are just looking at different parts of creation. Yeah. Uh, so you can think about maybe Newman makes an argument from moral conscience. Right. C.S. Lewis repeats the same argument in different ways in the first part of Mere Christianity. From the moral law, there must mm-hmm. be a lawgiver. Right. There must be a yeah. source of yeah. the moral law. Yeah. And then you have other arguments from sometimes called cosmological arguments Mm -hmm. or arguments that are kind of our observation about the created universe that then points to something beyond the created universe. Uh, Arguments from order and design, Mm -hmm. um, arguments maybe from change of motion, why is there something rather than nothing, all these different things. You know, could you maybe, like when you are teaching these topics, Mm Just kind of in general, are there any any kind of, uh, just among all the different kind of proofs, are there any ones that you find
0: people are surprised about? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if, if they're surprised. I, I usually, uh, I standardly go through uh, St. Thomas's five arguments in the Summa. I'll, quite often I preface that by going over St. Anselm's argument because uh, St. Thomas is, which, which is called, he didn't call it this, but uh, St. Anselm's argument is, um, is called an ontological argument for God's existence, mm-hmm. right? So it, it argues from the concept of God to, to God's existence. And I usually begin with St. Anselm because St. Thomas is, is critical of, of this approach because he thinks that the, the way that we can know God um, by reason is through his effects in creation, right? And then as I, right, there are, there are these five arguments that he gives in the Summa. Um, but he gives, if you, if you look at his other writings, there are, I don't know if we know the the exact total, but at least, um, 40 or, you know, possibly 50 different arguments. Now, some of them are the same kind of arguments, just Mm -hmm. sort of put in a different way, but there are, uh. 40 or 50 different places in his writings where he makes arguments for God's existence. But th- yeah, that's St. Thomas. Yeah. As, as you were mentioning, there are other people who have made arguments. Uh, Cardinal Newman, a uh, good example, makes the argument from conscience. Um, C.S. Lewis, as you're pointing out, I mentioned uh, St. Anselm. So yeah, so there are uh, many different ways that, that we could argue for, for God's existence. Um, and uh, we even have, you know, there are, it wasn't just something that people were doing in, in the Middle Ages, arguing for God's existence, right? Newman is, is, lived in the 19th century, C.S. Lewis in the 20th century. And in the early modern um, period, we have people like Descartes who are also uh, proposing arguments for God's existence, right? So, so there, there are a lot of different arguments yeah. and people have been mm-hmm. making them um, for centuries. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe
1: tell uh, us a little bit about uh, yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, how did you get interested in studying philosophy, Mm -hmm. studying Catholic philosophy, or Mm -hmm. at least philosophy that's kind of animated by a, and carried out within a Catholic, you know, ethos. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then from that, how did you end up getting particularly interested in this question? Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I began college as an art major, Right. I didn't know anything about philosophy and I discovered that, um, maybe I didn't really know much about art either because I wasn't very good at it or I, I was okay. Right. I was okay. But, um, but my, my classmates, you know, uh, were a lot better. So I thought, well, maybe I should do something else besides art. Um, and at this time, this is also a, a period in my life when I was, I was beginning to take my faith more seriously. And I was reading, uh, Fulton Sheen's autobiography, Treasure in Clay. Yeah, beautiful book. reading about his studies in philosophy at Louvain in Belgium. And I thought, wow, philosophy. That's, this really sounds cool. Maybe that's what I should study. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, I I wish I had a, you know, a kind of more... um, if I, you know, I could say that, well, yeah, I, I really began to wonder about the world mm-hmm. and, and so on, but it just seemed like a, a really interesting field of study, and so I, I thought, okay, I'm going to give that a shot. I'll give philosophy a shot, um, so I made, I changed my major to philosophy, and yeah, I don't know it's, I don't know how you can study philosophy as a Catholic and not also at some point study St. Thomas, right, and so I, I I developed an interest in St. Thomas, and that interest, um, you know, continues to develop, right? It's um, one of the the main uh, people that I focus on in, in my research and writing and, and teaching. And yeah, the, the question of, of God's existence uh, for me seems to be like the most important question, right, mm. in philosophy. Yes, yeah. there are other questions, and there are other important questions, but that is the most important question, so, just for that reason, I'm, I've I've always I, you know, because I see it that way. But I think that's also objectively true. I've I've always been drawn to questions about God's existence, God's nature, and so on, how we relate to Him.
1: Yeah. So maybe you know, for we obviously on the Catholic Theology show and at Ave Maria University, we uh, take Thomas as a model and guide for doing theology, as a kind of guide for doing philosophy, as you know, Fias Orazio speaks of and John Paul II and really the tradition of the church. But I think there's also a little bit of a, maybe a skepticism about Aquinas that Mm -hmm. Aquinas like overly rationalizes the faith. Mm -hmm. Um, He, instead of, you know, kind of faith that begins in Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. and maybe, you know, the darkness of God on the cross Mm -hmm. or something along those lines. Uh, Aquinas tries to make the faith, you know, overly understandable or Mm. overly, you know, where you end up in a kind of rationalistic conception. Um, Did you ever kind of experience that in your own philosophical or theological formation? And and if so, how did you overcome it? Or if, if not, how would you suggest that others kind of overcome that you know, caricature, perhaps. Right.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, I have. I, I, I was interested in St. Thomas, but I, I, also sometimes had this kind of thought that, yes, maybe this, this is, is, um, he's, overdoing it. You know, with, mm-hmm. with reason. But the, but the further I say, and of course there are plenty of people who make that criticism of St. Yes, Thomas, yes. right? Yes. Um, even uh, other Catholic philosophers and theologians, but. But the, the more I read Thomas, the more I began to discover that, that's, that it's not true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, he's taking reason as far as it can go. And I think that is something that the, the Catholic uh, faith, the, the church teaches we should do. We should see how far we can go with reason in knowing about God and knowing about the world and world's relationship to God. So he takes reason as far as it can go. But he's also aware of the, of the limits of reason, right? He's aware that that God is a, he's he's a, a mystery. We we can understand something about God. We can't fully understand him, right? So Thomas has no problem saying that in a sense God is incomprehensible, right? Because. God is, for one one reason why he's incomprehensible, is because he's infinite, right? And we have have a finite mind, and we can understand some things about him, but we can't understand him to the extent that he can understand himself, right? Uh, So, I I think it's important to see that, yes, Thomas takes reason as far as it can go, but he's aware of um, reason's limits. Mm -hmm. But he also, uh, we should also say that Thomas is a man of deep faith, right? Now, as you're reading the Summa, that may not Come out um, that might not be front and center, but you see that um, in his prayers, right in the hymns that he wrote, you can see that this is a man who is is yes, he's a philosopher, he's a theologian, but he's also a man of deep faith. So I, th- I think those those are important qualifications to make with respect to Saint Thomas. I would say, uh, and and this is probably why you know the or one of the reasons why the church has considered him a model is that he takes faith seriously and he takes reason seriously, mm-hmm. right? And that is, uh, I think, what what the church teaches we should all do. We should take faith and reason seriously.
1: You know, very nicely put. Uh, maybe just to say one more thing before we jump into a couple uh, proofs specifically. How is it that the proofs or thinking about God's nature are important for theology so that we don't end up with a false view of God, mm-hmm. yeah. right? That um, we could say, I believe in God sincerely with all my heart. Uh, and yet it might turn out that I'm not believing in yeah. God, but I'm believing in a way and kind of um, and I I'm, I'm believing in simply what I think to be God mm-hmm. and that, how is it that the proofs for God's existence also kind of act as a purification of that, right. of, of some of those kind of human ideas about God?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, the, the proofs, uh, show us if, if we, fo- you know, if we're able to follow them, them through, they, they show us what God must be like, um, if the world is the way that it is, mm-hmm. right? And so we can we can be certain that God has this or that attribute. We, we First of all, I would say we can be certain that God exists. And then we can be certain that he has, that he's infinite, that he's eternal, that he is good and so on. And the certainty that we can arrive at can then help us to, when we're reflecting on how we think about God, what is right and what is wrong with sort of the, you could say, our preconceptions of God, mm-hmm. right? So the, the proofs, as you say, can, can function um, uh, as a kind of um, uh, means for purifying our, our preconceptions about God. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I think yeah. it's a bishop, uh, Robert Barron, again, who uh, has an he has an essay called, um, I think something like Thomas Aquinas and why the atheists are right. What what he means by that is he says that uh, usually the atheists are thinking of a God who is kind of within a being within the universe <laughs> right. Yeah, and therefore you shouldn't believe in that God because that God is not the creator. <laughs> right. And so to really think what it would mean to think about God, not the highest thing in the universe, not Zeus, not yeah. Jupiter, not kind of this being within trying to control the universe in competition with the universe, but simply being itself that is present to every moment and every space within the universe in a non-competitive manner right. that right. the proofs in a way help us to eliminate yeah. by going from creation to the creator, we eliminate any creaturely, yes. uh, our tendency to kind of think about God in creaturely terms or to kind of, you know, picture, you know, where we kind of imagine God as, again, kind of in competition with us. So in that sense, it's very important then to go through that kind of, uh, that spiritual exercise, the intellectual exercise of purifying our understanding of God. And then in a way that allows then theology to work better, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Right. Grace and free will are no longer a problem because they're not in competition with one another. Right. Right, the two right. natures in Jesus Christ—he can be fully divine and fully human because they're not in competition with right. one another. Right, right, exactly. And to a certain exactly. extent, that's kind of what the proofs, as we'll look at, help yeah. to show. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, I I completely agree with that. Right, so uh, there have been other uh, theologians and philosophers that have, have pointed this out, have made a point similar to to Bishop Barons, that yes, if what quite often what atheists are denying is not what we understand to be God. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is um whatever you think of, of Anselm's ontological argument. This is an important point that he makes, mm-hmm. right? He says, okay, well, this is how God, this is how we should understand God, right? Yeah. This is what God must be. If he's God, yeah. if you're thinking of him in any other way, yeah. then that's not God, that's an idol, right? And so if you're if you claim to be an atheist, then you have to get your concept of God right first yeah. mm-hmm. before we can talk. Yeah, right. So Anselm right.
1: says for people who may not be familiar with the idea that right, God is that than which nothing greater can be thought. Right. So whatever you're thinking about then you have to then think about something greater than that. Yes. And
0: yeah. And then yeah. thinking
1: greater than that and that would be then that then you would be kind of almost approaching this infinite um, you know, creator. So, uh, let's take a quick pause, okay? And then, when we come back, let's uh, let's dive into uh, a couple of these specific proofs. Okay, great. Thank you.
0: Sure.
2: You're listening to the Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University and sponsored in part by Annunciation Circle, through their generous donations of $10 or more per month. Annunciation Circle members directly support the mission of AMU, to be a fountainhead of renewal for the church through our faculty, staff, students, and alumni. To learn more, visit AveMaria.edu join. Thank you for your continued support, and now let's get back to the show.
1: Welcome back to the Catholic Theology Show, sponsored by Ave Maria University. I'm your host, Michael Dauphiné. And again, today we are here with Professor Joseph Trabik to talk about proofs for the existence of God. Thanks again for being on the show.
0: Thank you,
1: Michael. So uh, we've been kind of discussing a lot of the, I would say setting up the issue, setting up the question, what the proofs do, what they don't do, how they can help us both have more confidence in our faith and also to make sure that we're kind of purifying our faith to really believing in God as the creator and not a part of creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd love to now just let's jump into, you know, maybe two proofs if we can okay. with our remaining time okay. and kind of go through them. So, what, which one do you want to start with? Which one do you think well, is maybe. I, I was most thinking helpful? about.
0: Um, well, there are a couple. So, the one I would like to start with is the the first of the the five ways um, in the Summa Theologia. So, this is if you have your Summa Theologia at home, this <laughs> yes. is Prima Pars, question two, article three, um, and this is the first argument. and And Thomas says that this argument is the most, or he speaks, he first speaks of them as ways, right? But, but Mm -hmm. they're not just ways to God. He says he understands them to be demonstrations. He understands them to be capable of giving us certitude about God's existence, right? And he says that this first way or proof is uh, manifestior, which means he says Mm. it's the most manifest way. Now, people, you know, uh, commentators don't always agree about what he means by that. In what way is it the most manifest? Is it the most manifest for for everyone or for um, people who've read Aristotle or for a certain group of scholars? Uh, it's unclear. But I, I do think that it is, once you understand the terms, I think it is, in a way, the <laughs> the simplest of, of okay. the proofs. Yeah. proofs. It, maybe it's, maybe he says that it's, it's the most manifest because it begins with something that's so obvious. And, and what it begins with is change, right? Um, now, the, the Latin word is motus, uh, which we could translate as either motion or change. Uh, I think change is, is a... It, it doesn't really matter because it, it works either way. Um, but I, th- I, I prefer to... The, to translate it as change. And so what Thomas is saying here is that we're all aware that things change, right? I mean, it's it's, it's going on all the time. Things are changing, right? Um, the air temperature is changing. My um, coffee is, you know, getting cold. Um, I'm moving my hands, you know, my mouth is moving, right? Change is, is always taking place, right? So we're all aware that there's change. And and Thomas wants to say, well, yes. And this also, if we think through what's required for change to take place, becomes a proof for God's existence. Now that might be a a little surprising. How can change explain God's existence, Mm -hmm. right? But uh, I'm thinking that maybe this is why he says that it's most, uh, most manifest, because it's Change is so obvious, right? What might not be so manifest is then how it change leads us to God, mm-hmm. and and that's you know what we hopefully I, I can try to say a few words that that um, explain why we should think that change leads us to to affirm God's existence.
1: Yeah, and and maybe you could also say a word about uh, change because I think, and you can correct me if I'm mm-hmm. wrong, but often when we think of change, we tend to think of things falling apart. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think that's at least often in the idea like change is when things we build and then they fall apart. Mm -hmm. That's what change is. That's why we don't like change, right? You know, (laughs) like generally change, we tend to think of as something bad Mm -hmm. where, as it seems to me, in part, one of the phenomenon or just the realities that Aquinas is drawing upon is that change is often a sense of growth. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. that acorns change into trees. Mm-hmm. Um, trees bear fruit and and make more trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, animals are when you know they change by reproducing and then mm-hmm. having little animals that grow into big animals. And right. and so what we see over time is this thing of growth,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Yes. Uh, that that when things change, they're actually growing and becoming more right of what they are mm-hmm. so they're in a way right how, how, how do,
0: you, do you think that is important well yeah in I, his so mode of understanding i i think yes i mean that is a form of change and it's the in a way it's the most important kind of change because um uh this is it leads to the perfection of the world and, and our own perfection mm-hmm but he would say that change of any sort um, can be evidence for God's existence, mm-hmm. right? So a, a minute ago I said, you know, my, my coffee can go from being hot to being cold, right? That's yeah. that's a mm-hmm. change. My heart changes, right? It It's not sitting there immobile in my chest. It's pumping blood, okay. right? So it's undergoing change. I... I'm speaking right now, as as, as I said, you know, uh, a bit ago. My mouth is moving, so um, that's change too, right? It's not just it's not just they're immobile, but it's it's moving, which is a form of change. So Thomas would say that that any any kind of uh, change, whether it's a, of the positive sort that you're talking about or something that we might say is negative, can function as evidence for God's existence. But we have to understand how to to see how that works, we have to understand what he means by change. And and Thomas says that change is is the movement of something from potency to act. Um, Now, let me explain what what, what that means. So uh, if we take my coffee, for example, right? Um, My coffee, let's say it's hot right now. Um, It could be cold, but it's not cold right now. So uh, Thomas would say it has a potency to, to be cold, but it's not actually cold at the moment. Right now it's actually hot, right? So when it becomes cold, what happens is that a potency uh, a, a capacity that it has becomes actualized, right? Sure. So it sure. goes from being in one state, yeah. hot, to being in another state, cold. That is a movement from potency to act and it's what takes place in any kind of change, right? Something goes from being potentially in one state to actually being in that straight state, right? That is that is what changes fundamentally. And it's understanding change in that way that um, is Thomas's starting point to then uh, developing this this first argument in the Summa for for God's existence. So, how then, if
1: things move from the capacity to change, to the actuality of having
0: changed, Mm -hmm. what does that have to do with God? Right. (laughs) Right. Um, So Thomas says, okay, so if something is in potency, is in a state of potency with respect to a certain way uh, of being to another state, it can't actually get into that state by itself because it's in potency, Mm -hmm. right? Potency is not act. So for potency to become act, something else that's already in act needs to move that thing from potency to act, right? Mm-hmm. So if we go with with my my coffee again, what makes my coffee get, get cold? Well, it's the room temperature, right? It's the yes. ambient temperature. So that temperature is, let's say, already, I don't know, 70 degrees. It's going to affect my coffee in such a way that its potency from Um, to be cold goes from being a potency to being an actuality, right? Because the the, the temperature of the room brings the temperature of the coffee down. Sure, sure, yes. Right, so anything that that changes and therefore moves from potency to act needs to be moved by something else that's already in act to be an act, right? So anytime a change takes place, we have the the thing that is changed is changed by another. Thomas says, okay. right. Mm-hmm. So then we have to ask ourselves: Well, um, what what would ultimately explain that change? Is it would it be something else that is that is itself changed by another? Mm-hmm. Well, no, because that doesn't ultimately explain the change in the first thing, because that thing too depends on something else to change. So the only thing that could adequately explain why this Initial thing is changing is not something else or a bunch of other things that depend on something to change, but something that doesn't depend on anything else, right? And can bring about change um, in everything that changes. And this is what Thomas calls the unmoved mover. And so, says, in a way, the unchanged the unch- changer, exactly. in a way, based upon the language you're using. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So he says, and this is what we call God right? So God yeah. is the unchanged changer. As it's usually translated in English, it's the unmoved mover. Okay. God. And Thomas says, this is what we call God. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you get to that point, you say, okay. And and, and so Thomas says, therefore God exists, right? That's, that's the conclusion that he wants us to come to. But then we might ask, well, why should we think of this unmoved mover as God? And Thomas doesn't in 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 those those proofs he doesn't he doesn't give us a lot of explanation for that it comes a little later in the summa in the what we call the treatise on the divine nature and we see that well if god is this first cause of change then he must have these other attributes as well and once once we see what these attributes are we begin to see well okay well this is yes this mm-hmm. must be god because if he is this first cause then there's nothing that is um, that he's subject to he is the first cause that there is right he also must be outside of time he must be infinite we see that all these things can be concluded by understanding him as this first unmoved mover right and then we yeah. so to to really understand what the those those proofs get us to we have to then go through some of the considerations in the treatise on the divine nature to see that okay Mm -hmm. yeah of course this this is what i would mean Mm -hmm. by god
1: yeah so for students who might be more familiar with the questions in order to understand question two fully you have to go through questions three through Mm eleven where uh aquinas kind of unpacks that exactly um well i mean we we could talk about that uh, proof or you know the argument from change sure. motion sure. Uh, further, but I'd love to just kind of throw in another one, okay? Like yeah. uh, and uh, what what might be a second kind of somewhat self-contained okay. proof that might be interesting, right? Or that so, you at least enjoy yeah. yourself and enjoy teaching.
0: Yeah, I think the he has another argument in one of his first works. So the he wrote the 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 five ways in probably the mid twelve sixties. Um, he wrote one of his first, one of the first things that he wrote is a treatise called On Being in Essence, um, in Latin, De Ente et Essentia. Mm-hmm. That was uh, probably the mid-1250s when he was in Paris. And there, there's an argument there for God's existence in the third chapter. And, and it, it goes like this. Thomas says that um, if there is something that exists, whose existence doesn't belong to its essence, and therefore it gets its existence from some outside cause, then there must exist some first cause that is the ultimate um, source of that thing's existence. And that that first cause must, if it's to adequately explain the existence of, of this first thing, must not be such that its existence is given to it by something else, but that it, it must be such that its existence belongs to its essence. Right. Now that okay, that's very uh, abstract. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You say
1: what 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 do you mean by say existence and essence in okay. that
0: right. So um, the essence of a thing is is what it is, its nature. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. It's so like I'm a human being. Yes. I exactly. have human nature. Exactly. Right. And Existence is, we could say there are different ways of talking about it, but one way to, to put it is to say, um, existence is the fact that you are here, the fact that you occur, right? Okay. The fact that you're mm-hmm. present, right? Yeah. And Thomas says that we know that there are beings um, whose existence doesn't belong to their essence, right? And they and so their existence existence in a way comes to them from the outside. Right, so, so like I am a human being, right. but I came to be right. when
1: I was born. Right. 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 So I haven't, you know, so I don't to, to be human doesn't mean to
0: exist. Right. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and and that's that's one of the ways that we can see what Thomas is talking about because he says, well, the difference between a non existing person a non-existing human being and an existing human being um, is not their nature, they have the same nature, mm-hmm. right? The difference is existence.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: So that tells us, so we can understand what a human being is, we can understand its nature, but we see that um, understanding what a human being is doesn't tell us that it exists. So that, that shows us that, that existence is, is not a part of our nature. So there's at least one being, human beings, Whose existence is distinct or comes to them from outside their nature, but there's mm-hmm. another easier way okay. to see that this is the case. If existence belongs to me by nature, then I will never cease to exist, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'll never come into existence. I'll just always exist because it belongs to my nature to exist, yes, right. Mm-hmm. So I I know that existence doesn't belong to a thing's nature when that thing is destroyed or when it when it dies, right? Because if existence belonged to its nature, it would never cease to exist, Mm -hmm. right? So that's a a kind of easier, more um, evident way that Mm -hmm. we can tell that existence doesn't belong to a thing's Mm -hmm. nature. Yeah. Yeah. So like bunnies
1: come to be and then they cease to be. Exactly, exactly. Uh, And so if that's the case then, what would it mean then to say that there would have to be then something or that God would then be it would belong to God's nature to be. Mm-hmm, right, what does that right. tell us in
0: a way about God? Well, um, well first of all, let, let's, let's think about, like with the, 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 the other argument we we're talking about, if we have something who, that we know its existence is distinct or comes to its uh, nature from the outside, that we can't adequately explain its existence by other things that are also like that. Because what explains their existence? Well, the only thing that can adequately explain the existence of all these these things would be something whose um, existence belongs to its nature or Mm -hmm. essence, right? And what would that mean? Well, it would mean that this is a being that always exists and that can never cease to exist, right? Mm -hmm. So it would be a being that is eternal, right? And that's what we understand God to be, right? We understand God to be an, an eternal being. Um, but we could also say that this being is pure being or pure existence. And what, what allows us to say that? Well, we can't add things onto existence, right? We, um, existence, there's, there's nothing outside of existence to add onto it. So if something has existence by its nature, then there's nothing else that would have to be a part of its nature that could be a part of its nature besides existence, right? So this thing must be pure existence and therefore have the power to, to do or to make whatever can exist, right? What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that this is an omnipotent being, Mm -hmm. right? So that and that is another attribute that we think of God Mm -hmm. as possessing, right? So eternal, omnipotent, um, and since since the being always exists, never ceases to exist, unchanging, right? So this is beginning to sound an awful lot like God, right? Yes, yeah, and and maybe there too. I think the idea that
1: I think sometimes are. I think when i first started thinking about these terms or sometimes when i work with students people tend to think of existence as stuff they can touch right so existence is like a rock or something (laughs) and um but existence is in some sense most fully displayed in life Mm -hmm. and in mind yeah so when we talk about god being infinite unchanging we're we're also talking about god being alive yeah most fully alive as as thomas will talk about uh, and so, again, to have the fullness, to have being itself is also to have the fullness of being, which would be to contain within God's self the, all the perfections that are somehow present within creation, right. which includes us, not right. just <laughs> dirt and stars, but also the right. human being, the capacity to know, the capacity to love, yeah. the capacity to wonder at beauty. Yeah. Um, so one uh, kind of maybe just... I, I like, how would you, uh, Bertrand Russell, who's a famous atheist, he objected to these arguments by saying, well, you know, who made this? Somebody made that. Somebody made that. Somebody made that. So mm-hmm. then God made all of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he said, well, what about who made God? Right. And he always thought this was a really good answer. <laughs> right. 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 How right. would you respond to that question? And how does that kind of show a lack of understanding <laughs> of Aquinas' proofs as you've just described two of them?
0: Right. So let's, let's go with, with the second proof, the, the one uh, where we get to God as um, having existence, belonging to his essence. Nothing could bring such a being into existence, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing would need to, yeah. right? Because this mm-hmm. is a being that always exists. Yeah. So it it, does, it you to ask where did this being come from? Well, I, apparently you haven't understood um, <laughs> yes. what we're we're talking about when we mm-hmm. say this is a being whose existence belongs to its essence and therefore mm-hmm. always exists. It doesn't need yeah. and couldn't have a cause. That's a
1: uh, very well put. I think one time I think actually if you read some of um, Bertrand Russell's mm-hmm. writings, he'll actually say that the argument is that everything needs to be put in motion by something else yeah. and therefore God would need to be put in motion by right. something else but that's right. not what no. that's not what Aquinas begins no. with it is everything yeah. that is in motion, everything yes. that is in change yes. needs to be changed by another yeah that doesn't tell you whether or not there is a being that is not in motion right. or in change or changed right. by another. Right. so the the argument works as long as you don't. Um, kind of, you know, play fast and loose with the premise. Right, no, so,
0: exactly. Yeah. And then, and so it's important to see if we go back to the, the argument from motion or change. Thomas doesn't say everything is changing. Yes. <laughs> Therefore, there must be some first cause of change. He says there are things that change. There are some things that change. Mm-hmm. He's not saying that everything changes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, okay, you're right. Yeah. And, and Russell, I think, is not the only one who has assumed or... Um, read into Thomas a, a different claim, right? Yeah.
1: So, you know, as as your professor, uh, and I think it's a great opportunity maybe for uh, listeners to kind of get to listen into the classroom. When you do teach a class on, say, metaphysics or proofs for existence of God, what's maybe, what, what are two things that you'd like students to remember, mm-hmm. you know, five years from now? Like, if they're just going to take away one yes. or two themes, yeah. yeah. what would be the key takeaways from well, studying?
0: First this. of all, I, w- I would like them in, in a metaphysics class to have an, a, a decent understanding of at least one of the proofs, right? Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I I mentioned different proofs in, in the class, but we, we don't try to go through every single one of them um, because, well, first of all, we don't have the time, but, but yeah. second of all, um, we're not going to go into enough depth in each one that they'll really be able to understand it. So if we cover five of them, they may not remember any of them,
1: mm-hmm. right? So yes. I'll, I'll,
0: I'll give a kind of overview and then focus on one or two of the proofs, right? And then we will go into more depth. And so I, my hope is that they, they retain some of that, right? Um, after graduation, you know, as, as they um, go on with, with the rest of their lives and why? Well, because they can they can have a sort of firsthand knowledge that um, there are these proofs and that they do work, and that their faith has this rational grounding. Yeah. Right. So, I, so that's one thing. And then, but also to have a good understanding of some of the the more um, central divine attributes, I suppose we mm-hmm. could say. So not to have, um, an understanding of God that's not God, yes, right. As we were yes, saying yes. before, mm-hmm. right. Not to, to have this, this idol that that's really Zeus, but not, you know, the God that yeah. we believe mm-hmm. in as Christians. Right. So, yeah. so yeah. So I would say those are the two things that, that I, I hope they take away from, from metaphysics class. That's,
1: uh, that's so well put. And, and I know
0: sometimes even it's,
1: it's funny, once you begin to see the proofs, you can't unsee them. Yeah. In a way, yeah. I find. They you you it's just like studying geometry when right. you were you know, like in ninth grade or something. It's like until you figure out how to prove it, it's hard. But then once you do, you can't it's like it's <laughs> just all there. It's there. Yeah. Um and, and and I think also that one of the things that I find, even just my own experience, is that the very fact that I ask the question. Like the very fact that I ask the question of, does God exist? Why does God exist? How does God exist? Who is God? And that my logos, my reasoning, asks that question is already a sign that I am more than matter. Yes, <laughs> yes. And in a way, I don't want to. Re- I don't want to say that the specific arguments are important. Yeah. But it's also that alone reminds me. That there must be a God because I certainly didn't make my own logos. Right. So where does right. it come from? It comes from God. So right. I just kind of shared that too. Even it's like the mere fact, even if you cannot understand one of these proofs,
0: yes, yes,
1: the mere fact that you are confused about it is almost already a sign that there is something in us that is non-material. Exactly. And so, exactly. Um, but uh, as 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 we close, I like to ask our guests um, uh, three questions. Just three quick oh, questions. Okay. So, um, uh, what's a book you are reading?
0: <laughs> um, well, um, does it have to be a philosophy book? It can be anything. <laughs> Comic books are welcome. <laughs> I, well, right now I'm reading, uh, Dorothy Sayers, um, Lord Peter Whimsy, uh, mysteries, right? Short, hmm. some short stories. She's, yeah. uh, she wrote detective novels and short stories. Yeah. And, yeah. She was yeah. a famous
1: kind of, a, uh, uh, Anglican apologist. Yes. Kind of alongside of Lewis and yeah. I guess, but, but wrote detective uh, yeah. stories. That's great. Yeah. Uh, And uh, what's a daily practice uh, that you try to incorporate uh, to find meaning and kind of become more aligned with this truth that we have revealed Um, in the faith?
0: Lectio Divina. Um, I try to start every day by reading passage from the Bible, Um, usually the the reading the gospel for the day uh, at, at, at Mass. And meditating on it for at least five minutes, right? Yeah. <laughs> if, if that's mm-hmm. I, if if I can go longer, great. But usually I don't have a whole yeah, lot of yeah, time. Yeah. So if if I can just do that and have that sort of personal prayer time at the beginning of the day, I, I try to do that. Yeah. You know? Try to wake up before the five kids. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, last question:
1: Is there a is there a belief that you held about God mm-hmm. that you discovered in a way to be false? And uh, what was the d- deeper truth you
0: discovered? <laughs> um, I can't think of any right now. Um, was there a belief that I held about God that, that was false? Probably.
1: <laughs> well, maybe what's one truth that you, in your studies or in your own faith journey, that really uh, kind of was a turning point for you?
0: Um, well, I, I suppose you know, seeing that that um, that that God is both knowable, and not not to be too paradoxical, but yeah. but knowable, but also unknowable, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Knowable but a mystery, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, uh, but in in a way, you you can only see that by going as far as you can with reason, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you you can see it. In, in, a, in a more elementary way, but you can really appreciate it by going as far as you can with reason, right because then you you see what the limits of of reason are right well, yeah. thank you so
1: much, uh, Dr. Joseph Trabik for being on our thank show. You, Listeners and viewers may find it interesting to follow some of your articles uh, that you publish frequently yes, yes, on yes. Catholic World Report. Catholic World Report, that's right. Uh, and uh, so, uh, and
0: also at some point, there'll be a book on uh, the Aquinas' proofs for God coming I out? I hope so, I hope so, yeah. Well, it's, it's it's. I've been working on it for, for a while, but yeah, it, it well, will take some time. Excellent, yeah. I'm sure you'll have a lot of interested readers. All right, thank so you.
1: So thank yeah, you very much for so. being
0: on our show. All right, thank you, Michael.
2: Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review it on your favorite podcast app to help others find the show. And if you want to take the next step, please consider joining our Annunciation Circle so we can continue to bring you more free content. We'll see you next time on The Catholic Theology Show.